0: uh right let's uh let's get cracking pediatric dermatology so i mean i just i want to start with a question for you actually and that is when when we uh, as our, as our sort of in our biomechanics area sort of speak to people and they say i don't really do biomechanics uh there's that kind of part of you that thinks well you don't really have you, sh- you shouldn't really have the choice if you look at the foot you, you need to do biomechanics and And I'm completely guilty of probably being one of the people that would say something along the lines of, I don't really do dermatology. I mean, that that surely would would be a pretty inappropriate thing to say as well. And and how much would that bother you? I mean, surely, if we look at the foot, we, we we need to know about dermatology.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the interface of the foot to the ground. So... Um, you can't avoid coming into contact and looking at the skin when you're doing your assessment. Um, so to pick up on clues on um, the the integrity of the skin because as it is coming into contact um, with, with pressure and shear, it, the actual structure of the skin changes and that's when it can breach. So it's really important to, to look at the structure of the skin before you're looking at anything else.
0: And obviously it keeps the the, the outside out and the inside in as they say so um it certainly uh, does uh, Tony yeah. Burns yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely so um, <laughs> what, you, what I want to do firstly because I'm, I'm very much an obvious in that area but also because I know that we get a lot of students that listen is, is probably insult your intelligence and start off uh, pretty, pretty simple I would guess so, you know really get some basics and get some um I guess some take home so just glancing to my little notes here to the um, lefty let's let's get up to speed on some of the real obvious basics so these are more i guess they're going to be kind of rapid fire kind of answers for you but i mean real simple one that if a student was sitting in with me and they asked me i think i'd struggle to answer and that is um what's the, what's the physiology of how callus is formed how, how, what is callus for you know the simple answer being well it's because of pressure but let's, we, we, you know let's give, give us a bit more than that what's going on a
1: bit more than that it's the the skin's reaction to too much pressure Shearing stress in, in particular, and then when you get um, too much pressure, you get an increase in pro-inflammatory cytokines, which um, uh, affects the mechanical stress of the skin, uh, which means you end up with incomplete corneocytes, the skin cells, and because they're incomplete, they've still got the nucleus in them, so they're a bit sticky, so they clump up, so that's why you end up with that thickening, that callous hyperkeratotic tissue. Uh, Farina Hashmi and Chris Nesta did a really good paper a couple of years ago where they compared the plant skin of normal foot skin, they called it, and hyperkeratotic, um, particularly in relation to stress. And it showed it was the incomplete um, corneocytes which caused that clumping up in the callus. Does that
0: make sense? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Beautiful. Um, latest, uh, latest evidence on, on sort of application of uh, topical agents, emollients. I seem to recall reading something from you on one of the forums, uh, which was completely educational to me, about the a- aqueous cream, which used to be uh, the cheap go-to and now, uh, uh, OK, as a soap substitute, I believe, but a, a no-no as a, as a daily application for, for uh, callosity. Is that reasonable?
1: Absolutely. Um, For nearly 15 years, dermatologists have been banging on about trying to get it out of the BNF because all the studies actually show that aqueous cream in particular dries out the skin when it's left on. Um, Again, it Mm -hmm. um, interferes with corneocyte production and causes a thickening and a drying out of the skin uh, because of the additives which are put in aqueous creams, the SLEs, they say it's not considered an emollient. So it's now been taken out of the BNF and only recommended as a soap substitute. So in other words, you use it instead of soap because it doesn't dry the skin out as much as soap, So, but it should always be rinsed off after washing. But if you've got a good emollient, um, um, something like Epiderm, um, you can use that as a soap substitute as well. So you use it for a soap substitute, cleansing you rinse it off plus you put it on straight after washing as well as as an emollient to leave on moisturizer so you don't need to use aqueous cream
0: it doesn't need to be in our life at all oh. awesome brilliant um anhydrosis dry dry you know dry skin um i remember i was i was fortunate enough to be taught by uh, ivan bristow as an undergrad and i remember one of the things he said to me uh, and, I, and i'm just i just i guess i want to fact check with you that this this is still the case because this was 15, 16 years ago, was, he said to me, when you ever see a foot that looks a bit dry and dusty and you think, oh, it's probably just a bit anhydrotic, uh, let's get uh, advise them to apply emollient. He said, 90% of the time, that'll be fungal. It'll be uh, trichophyton rubrum. still the case, still reasonable? Absolutely still
1: the case. It's probably the most misdiagnosed condition of the foot, I would say, dermatologically wise, um, because the tinea is actually white in appearance. So you get it in the striations of the skin, you get that white, chalky appearance. And yeah, that's a trichophyton rubrin presence there. So if you've got someone that thinks they've got constantly dry skin and the emollients just aren't working, tell them to stop the emollients for a little while and try a topical fungicide for about 14 days, see if that improves it.
0: Perfect, right. And I think that's the magic of someone like, like Ivan, is that he, in a passing comment to me 16 years ago, it's just such a gem that, that stuck with me. Um, I just wanted to check that, yeah. that, that thinking hadn't changed, really. Um, veruca's plantar warts. Um, first of all, let's touch on the old wives' stuff. Uh, is, there, is there any mileage, is there any um, any value whatsoever in your banana skins, your duct tape, um, whatsoever? Is it...
1: Interestingly, there have been studies carried out on duct tape and banana skin. Um, the duct tape came out in the Cochrane review as being no better than placebo. Um, banana skin, um, again, no better than placebo. The interesting thing with duct tape is um, it's obviously recommended a, a lot on, on the Internet as alternative treatment. Um But it's actually designed for industrial use. And the adhesive that they use is a documented um, sensitizer for contact dermatitis. A lot of people are actually allergic to duct tape. So it really shouldn't be recommended by health professionals to use on the skin. But the principle of occluding the skin um, with a very strong tape um, is a good one. Because by trapping in the moisture... You're trapping in the the water loss. It's called the transepidermal water loss. And by by doing that, the corneocytes, the skin cells, actually become engorged with the moisture. So they don't harden and thicken up. And that's what hurts with a, a varicor or plantar wart. It's it's the thickening, hardening of the corneocyte. So by keeping them moist, you're going to reduce the pain. And also, if you if you keep the occluding um, skin um, skin tape on, like um, 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 zinc oxide tape, for instance and then that's going to increase maceration which again creates inflammation so it could actually instigate a resolution of veruca of as well
0: and how about the over the counter um, yeah, the counter remedies the the bazooka the sal acid stuff I mean are we still in the position where they're, they're a reasonable thing for someone to have a crack at
1: absolutely yeah they've tried and tested they've got a reasonable success rate um it's probably the first go-to for most patients to go to, to go to the pharmacy and get some Bazooka, Veruca. And, yeah, some people have success with it, others don't. But um, it's it's a good thing for them to try, first of all, because uh, it's cheap and easy for them to apply.
0: And the comment, um, again, touching back on something that may be out of date now, the sort of leave it alone because most of them go within X years. Is there any data that gives us uh, you know a bit of more of an evidence-informed uh, value for x or is it is it individual
1: it's individual but yeah a tincture of time is what you're referring to it's it's not you're saying not mine (laughs) stole that from rob kidd um (laughs) who stole it from his aunt i do believe but yeah um particularly in the younger population there's there's plenty of evidence which suggests that um verrucas do resolve within 24 hours usually 24 hours 24 months even um in the younger population Okay. Because their overall immune system is that much more acute so it's on the lookout for new pathogens it gets lazier as we get older so that's why it's that much more difficult for us to fight any virus
0: and um it, i think it would be at it's not to mention needling for, for, i don't know whether you like you i don't know you like don't like to call it dry needling because it's not dry needling it's, it's, dry it's, needling. Like, it's a falkers falkers needing or, or do you just call, just it, call it,
1: needling? it
0: It is. What is. You know, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll. I'm sure we'll come back to this uh, a bit later on at the end and talk about your course uh, for people. But um, what's the latest data on on sort of success rates? Audit, audit. I know you. I know you've been collecting numbers on this. Uh, if, if it's not too sensitive to to reveal.
1: No, it's not too sensitive at all. Um, very interesting. Uh, the latest randomised controlled trial, um, which Farina Hashmi and her team undertook. Very interesting results. Um, on the on the surface of it, it looks like it doesn't work any better than sharp debridement. But then when you, you, we look at the methodology, it was for a single treatment of both. When you're looking at any Veruca treatment, more often than not, it requires more than one treatment. So in isolation, it proved that more than one treatment is often needed. But also when we looked at, at the results, um, a lot of the lesions either reduced in size or number of lesions, but they weren't included in the results as a total resolution, so they weren't included, but there were still positive outcomes. So Freen is looking at doing another study off the arm of that um, just for the positive outcomes, because so many of the patients in the group that had the needling against sharp debridement, the ones that had the needling, they wanted a second treatment, but they weren't allowed it. Um, the other trials range anything up to 94 percent where pinpoint bleeding can induce resolution but the majority of the studies are still around the 60 to 70 percent success rate for needling and there's there's more in the pipeline
0: great um last thing and then i want to bring craig in in a minute because i know he, he likes talking about uh pseudoscience and woo and oh, uh does. you know there's just as much in dermatology as panic so i know he's itching to oh, get, yeah. get Get talking about that last boring uh, but mundane but but I think a good question is uh, onychomycosis. You know, um latest data. You know, uh, I certainly recall uh, being told they've they've got one of uh, options of you know leave it or remove it surgically or take uh, oral lamisil, but they got could be concerned about the liver lamisil orally versus topically. Where where are we at? And and of course. We'll mention tea tree oil at some point, and then we'll bring in Craig for the pseudocytes side bit. Um, but what's the, dokes. what's the best current approach for uh, onychomycosis?
1: Well, it depends on the extent of the mycosis. If it's just the distal edge of the nail apparatus, then quite often regular debridement and a tropical fungicide like um, amyrolfine or even tobinifine spray, if you reduce the nail plate thin enough, or um, make small holes in it with your drill, um, just to allow the, the spray to access. Because the fungus, it isn't an infection of the nail plate; it's a migration of uh, dermatophytes, which has got into the nail bed, <coughs> the nail plate. So that's why it's so difficult to treat. So you've got to have a means to get to where the fungus is active. So if it's just at the distal edge then a topical treatment plus regular debridement will work. But if there's matrix involvement, then the only thing that's going to really get that is um, oral medication along the topical. So you've got your combination treatment or total nail avulsion, as you mentioned. Or there are other treatments available, uh, laser treatment. Looking at the evidence there is a bit woolly at the moment, but it's um, it's looking good.
0: Great.
2: Craig, it. go up. Just, just got a just got a question. I, I see on Facebook from Kevin um, Bell. Great seeing you again, and you too, Craig and Ian. So we don't feel left out. <laughs> great, great, stuff on Veruca needling. Have you seen verruca needling on the foot cure warts on other sites of the body?
1: Yes, frequently, and and that's really what um, gives us the evidence that what's being achieved is a global acquired adaptive response. And That's the ultimate aim of all Veruca treatment um, because we have this two-arm response of our immune system where we have an innate localised response which can um, get rid of the, 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 the lesion that we're treating. But if it's successful enough, then the T cells of our immune system will get the memo that the virus is elsewhere if we've got other lesions on our hands and feet. So we'll address them at the same time, which is why you get that cascade effect where one goes, they will all go and the patient hopefully will have acquired immunity and not get them again.
2: Um, great, thanks. And there's another, not a, not a question, but a comment from Fiona Sunter. Um, we've been getting good results with drilling into the nail and then applying lamostil spray, and I, I've been seeing a lot more of that in different places about drilling holes in the nail. I wonder if you want to comment on that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's by no means a new thing. Been, it's been in the literature for over 30 years. There's quite a few papers on it, actually. It's, um, it's, it's actually fenestrating through the nail plate. So you, you can just get your normal drill and have a, a ruby um, needle burr holding it um, uh, perpendicular to the nail plate and drill right through the nail plate. You'll feel it give, um, so you pull the, the drill straight out because otherwise it can smart a little bit. But by doing multiple holes along the nail plate where it's visible um, um, keratin, and, and then getting the patient to spray, um, to binifying spray, lamisil spray daily, um, has some really good results.
2: Okay, and, and another interesting comment. Obviously, I've been following all the pseudoscience and nonsense about the HPV vaccine and the extraordinary um, effect it has and the lack of side effect it has. But there's a comment here from, I'm sorry, I don't know their first name. It's K.W. Dunnett. Are there any studies planned or are you, you were aware of any studies or anything with the HPV vaccine and um, Veruca, V P infections?
1: <laughs> there are, actually. There's no rush, though, unfortunately, because obviously the, the subtypes associated with Veruca and hand are of the benign type. Um, but obviously the vaccine that we have available is subtype specific. So it's to address the subtypes which have the DNA potential to turn malignant. Mm. But the same technology is going to be used to to produce a vaccine for the benign subtypes as well, but there's no rush because they are benign. Um, you will have to pay, pay privately to have it done. Um, I've been talking to a virologist and um, she's... Looking at some of the studies, and will let us know.
2: Yeah. I, can't say I, was actually, I was actually speaking to a general surgeon a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me that she does not do any cervical cancer surgery anymore, hardly ever. Compared compared to you know, you know that vaccine is just so yeah. extraordinarily effective. But the the nutbags and liars and. Yeah. I don't know, whatever despicable people are out there campaigning
1: so
0: hard against <laughs> it. No, you, they no, are. Just say, yeah. feel, just say how you feel, Craig. Don't stop yeah. sugarcoating
1: it. It is. It's, it's amazing. You think it's, it's the first vaccine we've actually got which prevents cancer. Yeah. From
2: like,
1: perspective, I
2: hate, hate it. I hate it with yeah. a vengeance. Um, actually, there's another comment here on Veruca we just got from Maria Kintara from Italy. Um, what about treating warts with lasers?
1: um the the evidence with laser treatment um isn't that strong um, when you look at the cochrane other meta analysis it's uh, four or five um, some people have reported success because obviously you do get inflammation and if you get inflammation with any treatment for veruca you've got a good chance of resolution because you're increasing those uh, cytokine production but the trouble with, with some of the lasers i know they're all very different frequencies etc and um, they cap they can cause quite a bit of pain and sometimes scarring i've seen but yeah, I mean, some people do use and report very good outcomes, but, um, again, the evidence is a bit lacking there. Yeah.
0: <coughs> excuse me.
2: Someone just made a comment, Andrew Hill, nutbags, quite an understatement. <laughs> 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 <coughs> um, oh,
1: excuse me.
0: Let's, let's talk about teacher oil really quickly. I remember reading a long time ago, at least, well, several times, I know you've posted it several times, May have been on Prodigy Arena, may have been Facebook, this sort of beautiful paragraph about, uh, tea oil and why, why we should be avoiding it. And, and it was a bit over my head and I can't quite remember it. So I'd love it if you just remind me, it was something about something happens to it, denatures or something, something beautiful. And, 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 and it was, chem, it was yeah. chemistry. It was chemistry, but there was a reason, why, it is. a reason
1: why this it's can a cause harm. Yeah, tea tree oil, um, and actually that includes a lot of the essential oils, um, lavender oil, um, nutmeg, a lot of them. Um, They're actually very volatile oils. They're unstable, and they are a derivative of terpenoids. So that's terps, obviously. Um, And as soon as they're exposed to light and air, um, they oxidate. And what gives tea tree oil... Um, it's antimicrobial activity are the byproducts as it's oxidating it actually produces peroxides bleach and that those peroxides get stronger and stronger on each exposure to light and air so in effect a little bottle of neat tea oil, which is opened every day over a period of six months is going to be stronger than bleach so you don't really want to be applying that to an open wound
0: so i mean it's just a big no-no it just needs removing, it a big no-no. Just needs removing the Un-
1: yeah the european uh, union tried to get it banned at one point but then said um it needs to come with more warnings because there's such a high incidence of documented adverse reactions to tea tree oil um contact dermatitis and burns as well i've seen it in practice so it is a big no-no
2: Okay, yeah, but that, that leads nicely into the pseudoscience nonsense. But what – I mean, it, it smells nice. I'll give it that much. Um, but what, what <laughs> astounds me is we've known this for a long time about tea tree oil. We, we know yeah. the clinical outcome studies – I mean, the in uh, vitro studies show it's pretty effective against bugs and different things. The in vivo studies Thank don't really Yes. <laughs> but we've known these problems. We've known the clinical outcomes, and it astounds me that people in the profession – embrace it and use it and promote it on in social media and i i, I just i roll my yeah. eyes what, why
1: <laughs> why good question i've been thinking about that since since you wrote that in some of the questions mm. i don't know i think practitioners who follow evidence-based medicine we're, we're we're full of doubt because we're we're constantly questioning trying to disprove so we may not come across with, with the same confidence um, that a lot of these woo peddlers come uh, come across as on the internet. Um, and our patients are exposed to that. So it's what they want as well. So we're listening to our patients. We want to please them. So I think a lot of practitioners are trying to please their patients by getting a bit sucked into the natural element of it. Oh, it
2: I don't it, know. Uh, yeah, like it's it's we don't have a choice. My, my registration, your registration is linked to being evidence based practitioners, okay. and we're not allowed to use things that have been shown. And I, I you've got to start. And I've said this in a, in a previous one of these with Kylie. that We've had not podiatrists, but we've in Australia we've had a couple of chiropractors deregistered because they were not practicing evidence based way. based on comments they're making in social media and places like that. It wasn't, (coughs) like, I I just, again, it just astounds me that people latch on to these treatments that have been shown not to work, and the regulatory authority is not coming down harder. I mean, they do have more important things to worry about. Um, But as I I know, as you've said, I've seen you say this a number of times, where's the harm? Well, you know, know, there is a harm there. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. So,
0: yeah, I I roll my Well, who do you think, uh, dermat- podiatric dermatology, podiatric biomechanics, what's got the most woo, what's got the most pseudoscience?
1: Oof, I think it's probably equal.
0: It feels like it might be. I, mean, I think it a, is. There's, there's a lot in both. You've got your teacher, yeah. we've yeah. got our insoles that, that cure infertility or, or whatever it may be. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's just a lot of nonsense out there. and I, I, I just feel like, I mean, at some point, I'm sure, Craig, we're going to need to get um, a wound care specialist, a tissue viability specialist, a, di- a diabetes specialist mm-hmm. on them. I just yeah. feel like if we yeah. ask them that question, they'd be, there's just no room for pseudoscience in That's that. That's right. Yeah. I just can't yeah. work out why, yeah. why the discrepancy. I don't that, know
2: that, what it is. It, mm. I, I don't know. I just, it just astounds me that people latch onto these things and run with them. Um, the lack of critical thinking skills, I I, um, I, I just, you know, <laughs> you, you do get exasperated um, when you you coming across it daily. Yeah. Um, from people who you really think should know better.
0: So Oh
1: yeah.
0: Um let's can we can we change direction? Is that all right, Craig? Or you still, yeah, sure, yeah. still got some you yeah, okay you vented enough or you're feeling okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just catching up on some of the comments. <coughs> okay, well I'll uh, I'll I'll change direction very briefly. When I um <clears throat> follow the dermatology posts on some of the the four the uh, uh, facebook and and, and arena as, as a as a non-specialist in that area i find them quite interesting i always make sure i read them and the ones that i think and, and correct me if i'm wrong but the ones that look like they give people the most enjoyment are the ones where they catch something that was was sinister malignancy, for example yeah. where you, you know and often we are the first people to to look at the skin from the knee down we know that there's there's gps that that don't even get people to take their shoes and socks off. So uh, I guess one question for me, for me would be, you know, uh, as a non-specialist, what, what sort of things should we be looking for? What are the things that we could miss? What are the real kind of that's a real flag waving at you for some sort of skin lesion that we should escalate?
1: Um, well, your big one, obviously, is your malignant melanoma. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> that that's that's the big one which we're all looking out for hopefully because it's it's got the worst prognosis of all the skin cancers it's not the most common uh, the most common is basal cell carcinoma um, but that doesn't tend to metastasize and it's quite rarely seen on the foot as well although you do sometimes see it on the dorsum um, basically any lesion which is fast growing Um, and hard and um, unusual in appearance not symmetrical um, really does need to be referred on preferably to a GP with a special interest in dermatology because secondary care dermatologists are really firefighting um, uh, for patients that that deserve to be seen under the 14-day rule. So those are patients with suspicious moles that could be malignant melanoma or other life-threatening conditions. So GPs and other health professionals, including podiatrists, are undertaking dermoscopy and another training in dermat- dermatological um, explorations um, just so that the um, referrals are, op- are appropriate, which are going to the dermatologist's. So if we come across a patient with a lesion that we're not quite sure about, if we can get them to a GP with a special interest in dermatology, they've got the skills to perform a dermoscopy and other investigations as well, and they will make that call on whether to refer it under the 14-day rule. And they generally are seen within that time, um, which, is, which is really helping with the prognosis. Um, you've got your ABCD, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Any lesion which is asymmetrical so if there's two halves of a lesion which don't look similar that would be suspicious you look at the border so if the border is undermined or irregular then again that could be suspicious C is for color so if you've got three or more colors oh and D used to be diameter Um, but we're heading towards delayed healing now. So any lesion which isn't responding to your normal treatment as you think it would do, again, should be a bit of a flag. We've got EFG now for nodular melanoma, which is not a good sign because once melanoma becomes nodular, it does indicate that it's started to metastasize. So E is for elevation. F is for firmness, and G is for growth. So that's really the place the diameter. So anything which is fast growing. We've also got H, which is probably the most important of all, which is history, history, history. It's the one thing that I always mention. People put a picture up and say, "Is this okay?" You've read the history is so so important, particularly with uh, melanoma of the foot because the foot generally um, does, isn't an area of, uh, of some damage, for instance. But if there's any history of uh, familial malignant melanoma, or if the patient has had an organ transplant, um, all of these are increased risks of them being uh, more at risk of having malignant melanoma. So the history is so, so important. I had a patient referred to me last year by a GP for, for needling, Veruca. For Looked looked like a Veruca, It was certainly Veruca's on the on the heel. Um, took the history, and the lady was told me she was um, had previous treatment for another cancer, but she was given the all clear. She was in remission. Um, she wasn't taking any medication. But the the, ra- the rate of the growth of the lesion alarmed me because it was the size of a 50 pence piece, and she said that had occurred over a period of three months. That's quite rapid for a Veruca. So in view of her history, I said, I'd rather have a biopsy before we do any treatment because just to rule out um, what could be something called a Veruca's carcinoma, which isn't a Veruca at all, but is a squamous cell carcinoma, which is Veruca's in appearance. Uh, Very rarely does it have any HPV involvement, but it just looks like a Veruca. So referred off for biopsy, long story short, it came back as a malignant melanoma. She was very grateful that I didn't needle it, didn't treat it as a Veruca. But this is where the history comes in. Um, Her particular history for her cancer treatment put her at that much more risk of a skin cancer of sorts.
2: Actually, one one important point there, imagine what's happened to your status and the status of the profession in the eyes of that patient and that gp mm. yeah I, I you can't lose sight of that um i am keeping one eye on the clock but also keeping one eye on a whole lot of questions um we're probably not going to get to them all but maybe Blinder, if you're in a generous mood you can respond to them later but just a couple yes, of quick ones there's one here from fiona what about Bowen's disease how quickly would you refer for that
1: Bowman's disease is obviously classified as squamous cell carcinoma in situ, um, which means basically um, the lesion is still in, in the epidermis. Um, all the time it's, it's not changing shape or colour, um, then, then it's fine. But the moment it starts to change, particularly if it takes on a red crusty appearance or starts to ulcerate it generally in the centre, gets that heaped up look, um, that would suggest it's no longer in situ as a squamous cell carcinoma. So you would refer that um, via the GP um, to dermatology under the 14-day rule.
2: Yeah. Okay, and another comment here. Any thoughts on the injection of bleomycin for the treatment of Veruca? Uh,
1: it's a very interesting one. Um, There's been some good papers coming out from the States on, on using bleomycin. And... Um, The meta analysis Cochrane showed it wasn't as good as caustics or laser, um, but there is some evidence to suggest that using any antigen or bleomyosin directly into the lesion will create enough inflammation to cause resolution.
2: Great, thank you. Now, Mark Russell has asked a question. uh, can I ask a question? What's what's the ethical legal position for podiatrists who advise their patients to source prescription-only medicines from online pharmacies? I'm thinking Aldera primarily for BPs, um, but the same could apply for steroids or opioids rather than GPs. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what he's asking. It's obviously UK-specific.
1: No.
2: Um, do you understand what he's asking? Uh, um,
1: basically, Aldera or imicromole. <laughs> Um, is a topical immune response modifier which is actually um, a good treatment for uh, Veruca because it increases the amount of inflammation cytokine production. However it's only licensed for genital warts and some skin cancers such as basal cell carcinoma um, but the, the principle is the same for, for Veruca. It, it it would work in the same way by increasing cytokine production. So some GPs will prescribe it off-label um, if they're in a good mood. Um, there are some private GPs who are more likely to do it, and the patient can be sent to them, and they can pay for it to be prescribed off-label. But as podiatrists, I'm not quite sure where we'd stand there.
2: Yeah. Sure, there's a few more questions there. But, Ian, have you got anything more? Because I'm keeping one eye on the clock.
0: <laughs> um, I want to round up uh when we do by just uh mentioning bell's courses giving her a nice little not so subtle plug on the two courses she runs and also asking what her future holds now because i'm sure many people know she's just sold her practice but before we think i want to mention which i read um i think it was this morning it may have been yesterday all the days blow into one i just wanted to mention it because i thought it was a beautiful little gem and i was never aware of it and and on these online forums people can miss these gems so i wanted to make sure it was repeated and that was you mentioned to someone that if there was a subungal hematoma uh-huh. that looked that, that just looked like it should have grown out by now you know again history uh, timeline wise it was just taking too long to grow out it should raise your index of suspicion um and potentially even uh, i can't remember whether you said it should be referred on but you should certainly be viewing it as suspicious was that in the context of a of a malignancy as well
1: absolutely um we, we, we talked talking about um, subungal melanoma here, obviously, um, which is what we're all looking out for with the pigmented lines. If it's coming from the proximal nail fold, it, it is worth monitoring it um, because the melanocytes are only active in the proximal nail fold, in the matrix. So any pigmentation um, in the nail plate which isn't connected to that part isn't suspicious. It's generally um, tinea or... Um, uh, uh, hematoma however um, as, as you picked up melanoma do bleed so you may have um, melanoma in the nail unit which will then bleed and look like a hematoma because it it will be smudged the smudge look and so it's very easy to dismiss that as just a hematoma so if it doesn't doesn't grow out if there isn't a clear line behind the hematoma grown out after a period of six weeks is what's recommended so take photograph photographs every six weeks to see if it's growing out um, then again you'd refer that on for um, further investigation the biggie one to look out for is the amelanotic melanoma as well particularly when that's in a nail unit that's very tricky to pick up because it, there's no pigmentation obviously but they bleed as well. So if you've got something which appears to be a hematoma, uh, but there's no pigmented line either, but the hematoma just isn't clearing, it isn't moving, again, uh, it is worth referring on to a GP for endoscopy.
0: Perfect. There are a few more that we haven't got to, but looking at the time here, we, we like to try and keep these around 40 minutes. And um, as, as suspected, it's been wildly popular and uh, the questions are just flying in. So yeah, we'll probably get to some of those uh, in text format afterwards if that's okay so should we should we wrap up craig is are you happy with that or is there anything you think we really need to touch on in the comments here <clears throat> uh, there's one about neurovascular corns and possibly being vps that one i think we probably yeah uh, that's a
1: good one uh, Adams, um,
0: who's a super one of, you know a super enthusiastic uh, student i think at birmingham isn't he um, adam constable he says it's been suggested neurovascular corns can be underlying vps what's your thoughts uh are you have uh, any research into this
1: absolutely it's something that I've always thought actually um, in the early days when we first started doing needling I was with Robert Isaacs and we we came across a lesion which didn't have the usual um, thrombosed capillaries it was large it was white it was what a lot of people would consider a neurovascular corn um, after it was removed we sent it off and it came back from histology as viral HPV um, that was really what triggered my, my research into looking into to needling. Um, interestingly, Tim Kilmartin um, published an article in Podnell last year where a lot of the recalcitrant corns, which are sent to him for um, um, surgical um, correction of the metatarsal, he will remove the lesion first and routinely send them off to histology. And he found that nearly 50% came back as HPV. <coughs> Um, so yes, it so is massively, he's diagnosed 50%. Uh, wow. So um, that was Felix and Tim uh, did a very interesting paper. So <coughs> I know quite a few students are keen on, on taking that a bit further as, as part of their dissertation as well. So, yeah, it's interesting.
2: I've I, I got one last question to, to finish up on, and it's from Dave James. When is Belinda opening the doors to her fan club?
0: <laughs> I think they're, I think they're <laughs> open now. This is the official opening, <laughs> <label>, isn't it? Thanks, Dan. Let's talk about you then, uh, very briefly. I know you don't like talking about yourself, but um, you've just sold your practice. A very uh, yeah. in Winchester, fifteen years, I think it was. And, yeah. and um, what, what does the future hold for you? I, I'm, I'm hugely assuming, because I know we've spoken about this before, that this, is, this means the PhD is 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 is, is going to be attacked with with enthusiasm.
1: Hopefully. Yeah. I'm going to start off with a couple of dermatology master's modules at um, Hertfordshire University. They've got a really good pick and mix. So if anyone does have an interest in dermatology, do get in touch with them. They're very keen to have their podiatrist there. They've got a, um, a, a selection of modules which you can choose from, which is really good. So I'll be doing a bit of that. I'm doing a bit more getting more involved with forgotten feet with with Debbie. Um, The charity where we can do um, the feet of the vulnerable adults and the homeless. A bit more research with the help of my my friends, Ivan and Farina and Ian and Robert, obviously. And continue to to run courses and help people. I just think if I find something interesting, then possibly someone else might do as well. So, yeah.
0: Well, certainly your, your, two courses, your two courses, your Veruca Needling with, with Ian Riley and your Links and Lumps with Rob, Yeah, uh, they certainly both seem wildly popular. Where can people – I mean, I know you post fairly regularly on them. Uh, you've got one coming up in Southampton.
1: We've uh, got one um, in Eastleigh, Southampton, on the 27th of this month. Um, it's fully booked now, unfortunately, but um, we have got other courses around the U.K., um, with the limps and lumps and the verruca needling which is always popular and good fun with Ian um, so yeah if if you want to email me message me on, on Facebook I can tell you if there's a venue near you we're coming to or invite us we will come
0: <laughs> and if you if, if your master's module is at is Hatfield I assume is it the, oh the, is it? Yeah. The, 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 yeah yeah, the, the, yeah. yeah Hatfield. Hatfield. so it's not too far from me so make sure you come in and have a cup of tea
1: we'll do yeah <laughs> do you, do
0: more um, Absolutely. right I, I don't think there's anything else we need to no, uh, to yeah. say, Craig, other than to thank Belinda so much for what probably proves to be our most popular and uh, most popular chat <laughs> <in> thus far. <laughs>
2: uh, People are still joining late, so for those of you who have just joined in, um, Facebook render the video <laughs> the audio will be there in ten to fifteen minutes, so you can go back to the beginning and listen to the bits you missed. So, so
1: thanks, Belinda. That's been really good. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Very Quickly. So I I would...